You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Reaction Monday edition of the Locked On Longhorns Podcast. This episode of the Locked On Longhorns Podcast is brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. So head on over to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code Locked On. Uh, welcome to the Overreaction Monday edition of the Lockdown Longhorns Podcast. I am your host, Patrick Kahn. You can follow me on Twitter at Pat Sports Guy. Follow Cami at Cami and G or the show Locked On Horns on Twitter. Locked On Longhorns on Instagram. Uh, like I said, it's Overreaction Monday, so we're going to talk a lot about it. We're going to fire Herman. We're going to fire Chris Ash. We're going to fire – who else do we need to fire, Cami? Because uh, there, was, there was a whole lot of suck going on on Saturday. Uh, and then the Cowboys on Sunday, uh, and then and then Kenyatta Watson's going in the transfer portal. So it was just all bad. All of it I mean, was bad. Yeah, if you're a Texas fan or a Texas football fan by any means, in terms of the Dallas Cowboys, the Texas Longhorns, anything, it was probably the worst football weekend I can remember in a long time. I mean, speaking of firing people, obviously we're talking about overreaction Monday, but. I mean, that many penalties is worth uh, getting rid of uh, several people because they just look completely unprepared. They look indisciplined. Like, it was absolutely awful. And I, and I get that it was a, a very bad officiating job. I think everyone can agree on that both sides. I think combined there was like 26 total penalties, which is unheard of. And I was at the game, trust me. It added, it added on almost like an hour to the game. So it was just awful in every single phase of the yeah, yeah, it was pretty – the only thing, I think my only saving grace for Saturday night, Brock Purdy, Pat McAfee is calling it Brocktober. Uh, he was able to <laughs> beat the Sooners. That, uh, that was a little bit of a, a padding to how bad the day was, but oh, my gosh, yeah. A little. Uh, yeah, so it was – like we said, it was a bad way all the way around, right, Kami? Um, mm-hmm. The big thing, like for me, the big thing that kind of – hurt me when I was looking at everything was the fact that Sam Ellinger had once again his worst game uh, of his collegiate career another stinker uh, against Gary Patterson and the TCU Horn Frogs um, yeah. you know but it was interesting because he was the highest rated offensive player when pro football focus put out their grades uh, so so you're looking at that going okay so he he was bad as far as he wasn't able to complete enough passes. He was under 50%, but he did have four touchdowns. Uh, they gave him a grade of 80.7, so the only offensive player in the 80s. Uh, but, but overall, I mean, it, it, felt like it, it felt like from the jump that we knew it was going to be a bad game when, when Sam Ellinger started one for seven. Oh, my gosh, yeah. And, and that's funny to me because, obviously, I discussed the uh... – positives and negative players of the game. We call them the studs and duds each week, but Sam kind of fell in the middle line for me. So obviously you just mentioned he threw for four touchdowns, but he seemed completely off. It was just an off game for him. I mean, I was literally watching the plays develop in front of my own eyes and he just was not seeing the field. He was inaccurate. It was just an off game. And I think that still falls on the coaching staff. You have to be able to adapt to those things. Your players aren't always going to be on like, you know what, at that point, screw the game plan. Like, get that out the window. You, you need to win this dang game right in front of you. And 
and I think the coaches, coaching staff is a little too stubborn uh, to adapt in some ways. And that really bothered me. The play calling bothered me. You obviously know uh, we heard the rumors about his thigh contusion or uh, whatever that was. I don't think anyone knows the spirity of that. And so he was obviously off in the air as well. And you have to find a way around that. And I don't necessarily think that coaching staff did. You know, it was interesting, though. He, he threw for three of his touchdowns when he was being blitzed. Uh, so, so he was handling that a little bit. I mean, he still didn't have a great completion percentage. Uh, was still under forty percent when being blitzed. Three out of uh, or five out of thirteen. He had uh, three touchdowns, but it was only sixty-one yards, four point seven yards per attempt. So, I mean, it, it wasn't great. Um, you know, it was good that he was able to find ways to get them in the end zone with that going on. But, but still, like you said. It was almost like he wasn't a stud, but he wasn't a dud. You know, exactly. he's, right, he's that middle line right there. Um, and it's funny because we're saying he had an off game, but he still threw for four touchdowns. That just goes to show, like, the expectations surrounding him, like what he's proven he can do. And it, it just seemed like an off game. Like, he didn't carry the team like usual. It was, uh, it was weird. Obviously, he had the interception, which a lot of people are saying was on Josh Moore or something along those lines. But It looks I mean, like it. That was, a, that was at a crucial point of the game, like right before half. So it, there was just so many mental mistakes, and I, I keep going back to the coaching staff on that because it was just that type of game. Nothing went their way. So they lose by two points, right? Mm-hmm. So you got the interception there um, as the closing moments of, right. of mm-hmm. the first half. Turns into three points for TCU, so that's a three-point swing at least. Um, and then, obviously, you had at the other end, uh, towards the end of the game, uh, Keontae Ingram's trying to make a play. I don't fault him for it at all, but, yeah, you know, you can't do that with the linebacker in there in your face and extend out, fumble it. You know, and that's another six to seven. So, that's a ten-point swing right there, and they lose by two points. So, yeah, you, you I, think either one of those, and, and they win the football game. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how I think of, like, what the swing would be just because they obviously purposely took that safety knowing they were ahead and wasting the time. So, I, it, there's just so many mental errors. Like, we talked about that Jake Smith drop. We haven't even mentioned that. I think that was crucial. I think he had so many yards after the He had a touchdown. I, I honestly was, don't think um, – I don't think – well, they probably would have made it close. But Jake is really quick, but maybe mm-hmm. – and I feel bad because, like, that was his first game back, and we obviously think he might have a little rest. So there was no offseason. He hadn't had real live game action yet. I'm pretty sure he had the most receptions of anyone on the team. Yeah, six for 49 yards. But that that one mistake was a game changer. That's something I can't get over. Yeah, let's uh, – let's, you know, I know we're, we're tackling some of the negative stuff that happened in that first half. Let's tackle some positives uh, that happened in that game. Uh, Jared Wiley should be your starting tight end. I think he gives you so much more offensively. Uh, you talk about the yards after the catch. He had, I think he had 37 yards after the catch out of his two receptions. Um, so, you know, you, you looked at that and, and, you know, he brings you something. Plus the fact he's six foot seven. get him in the red zone. Do what you would do with, with Cade Brewer there. Do what you would do with Malcolm mm-hmm. Epps there. I think he needs more reps there. I think Epps could actually play better out outside at wide receiver. I just he doesn't give you the blocking of the inline tight end that they want. So right. if I'm looking at Wiley, I'm like, I think they need to give him a little more run there. I completely agree. Like when I when I, I and I've actually messaged you this separately, but when I was actually at the game, Wiley stood out to me as one of the I guess most physical. Uh, I don't know. He seemed like one of the biggest guys out there. And I'm like, wait a second. Like, why don't we use him more? And I don't know if this is a good or bad sign about the game, but he led the team in receiving yards. 
He had 63 receiving yards on just two receptions. Yeah, you I, have to use him. He's such a mismatch in the red zone. I think you mentioned he was probably like six, seven or something. And it is clearly evident on the field. And I know Herman has always mentioned how versatile he is, how athletic he is. And I don't think they utilize his athleticism enough. I don't think the, I don't think so either. Um, and we're going to talk more and more about this game, obviously, as we're getting ready for Oklahoma. Uh, we're going to have John Williams from Lockdown Sooners coming on the show at least once this week, maybe twice as we prepare for uh, – what, what are we calling this? We're calling this hate week. Oklahoma oh, hate week, uh, Texas OU week. Uh, we're going to get into the defensive side of the ball and some of our frustration levels with what was going on on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, but first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. Uh, Built Bar, as as you can tell, you know, it's something that I've been using uh, when I go on my evening walks. I need some energy. Or if I'm just pissed off because my football team isn't doing what I want them to do, I build up some hunger, so I reach over for a Built Bar. I, I try to get that cheesecake, the chocolate chip brownie, the mint brownie. Oh, they're fantastic. All of them are. I want you to go to BuiltBar.com. Use the promo code LOCKDOWN. They're going to give you $10 off your first purchase. You can use that. And get some more built bars so you can build up your energy. You can be excited for your football games. Uh, obviously, you want to be – you got to have your energy because 11 a.m. kickoff at the Cotton Bowl, Dallas, Texas, on the fairgrounds. You got to have that energy early on. Uh, so definitely go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked on. All right, Cam, let's talk about the defensive side of the ball here. I think this is something that both of us were kind of – uh, not really liking, so let's let's talk some positives real quick, and then we'll get more into uh, what we didn't like from the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so I think the first thing that stood out to me was we finally got to see a little bit of Joseph Asai doing some things. Mm-hmm. They're using some stunts, ways to freeze him, free him up. Uh, going into this game, we thought – We were talking Asai, about him quite a bit. We said he hasn't had that breakout game yet, and I think this was the one – and yeah, and you and you looked at what TCU looked like against you know Iowa State. They couldn't block anybody. You know they mm-hmm. gave up six sacks in that game. Uh, so I was thinking Joseph Sides getting two, three sacks in this game. You know Keandre Colburn, Alfred Collins, you know Tavondre mm-hmm. Sweat, uh, Taquan Graham. I mean we we could go on and on about all the guys that we thought were gonna have big games, and they didn't. Uh, but, you know, Joseph Asai is one of those guys you can't say that about. Uh, he had four total pressures in that game. He had a sack, uh, hit the quarterback twice, had a hurry. Uh, obviously, he created a fumble that uh, turned into a short field for Texas. But, uh, you know, defensively, he was one of the very few positives in this game. Yeah, I agree. And I think, yeah, he, he had three and a half tackles – I mean, tackles for loss. Uh, I don't know, but I think what sticks out to me most, obviously we talked about his quarterback hurries and sacks and things like that, but that forced fumble was at a crucial point in the game. I think that was a game changer, um, just like I mentioned on the negative side of how Jake Smith's drop was. But I honestly think our defense showed up enough in the second half against TCU uh, for Texas to go out and win that game, and our offense just didn't produce. So as much as we harp on this defense, I think in this specific game they, they did enough uh, for Texas to escape with the win, and obviously we just couldn't connect on offense. But Osai, I think um, uh, we talked about Caden Stearns, I think, led the team in tackles. That was positive to see. We think he's probably the most talented or one of the most talented players on this defense. So 
I thought that was a positive sign, but we just have to get our line, our linebacker core uh, together because that's going to that's gonna kill these Longhorns if they don't uh, fix that. I think that was the turning point of the game on a very questionable targeting mm-hmm. call against Juwan Mitchell. Because uh, oh, obviously yes. without him, this defense did not look the same. Uh, you know, they tried some different looks. They tried some, you know, different guys. Court Jackies was in there. Uh, Daily A. He did well. There. He had some. Yeah, he, he had did some well. But, great, you know, it's like the uh, the go-ahead touchdown score uh, when Max Dugan runs up the middle, just scot-free, barely touches him. You know, he, he sees it the way they're playing. They're not paying attention to him. So he runs up the middle, and it's like a 30-yard touchdown to win the game or that was the go-ahead score at the time, which mm-hmm. ultimately ended up being the game-winning score. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's those type of things that when you have an inexperienced linebacker, doesn't know what he's looking for, or he's not used to certain looks. And yeah. uh, Jawan Mitchell knows those things. Um, and in the next segment, we're really going to harp on – I want to talk about some of the, the officiating in this game because it was absolutely oh my disgusting. Oh, but, you know, that was one of the things I think was a key there uh, was the fact that they – once he went out of the game, uh, I felt like TCU was able to take advantage uh, when they were on offense uh, as far as uh, getting the looks that they wanted and, and right. getting to do what they wanted. Yeah, and we we talked about Overshone, I, I think, led the team in missed tackles with five, if I'm correct. So, uh, they just struggled in that position as a whole. I think um, we talked about, or I guess we harped on the defense a lot regarding Texas Tech and their tackling and things like that. And honestly, their tackling wasn't much better against TCU. I just think they got off the field more. They got off the field enough to give this offense a chance, and our offense just couldn't stay on the field. And and I know the time of possession was about a 10-minute uh, swing in TCU's favor. So um, I think this was uh, a lopsided games in terms of the offense. And we don't typically say that because uh, there's so many talented weapons on this offense that we should go out there and put up 45 points a game, no question. And they just couldn't get that done. I mean, we talked about how Sam was Sam had an off day. Our, our coaching staff didn't adapt. There was too many mental errors, mental mistakes, offsides, uh, uh, PIs. There was just – too, 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 too many penalties, and I think on both sides. And so you mentioned the officiating, and I think both sides can agree with how bad the officiating was. I mean, TCU had, I think, even more penalty yardage than Texas even did. So um, I know they're just they're just as angry at the officiating crew, but they found a way to win, and we didn't. Yeah, they did find a way to win. Um, and I want to go back to your point about the missed tackles. 19 against Texas Tech missed tackles. 15 against TCU. So in two weeks, you missed 34 tackles. There's there's a reason why you uh, lost against TCU, and you probably should have lost against Texas Tech, uh, you know, had it not been for the onside kick recovery. Yep. Um, you know, if that Tech player catches that ball, I mean, we're not even having this conversation. We're, we're staring we're, at 0-2 in the conference, yeah. Exactly, and we're looking at Oklahoma going, which one of us is going to win a conference game first? <laughs> yeah. um, oh, my God, know, how embarrassing is that? And, and yeah, we're, we're going to get into that in, in – you know, coming up in a little bit. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, you talked about the missed tackles. You talked about uh, the inability to create turnovers in this game. I mean, Max Dugan, uh, this is this was essentially a, a, a game and a half that he's played this year. Mm-hmm. You know, play, you know and, and you expect to see the rust there. And, and he looked like the Wiley veteran, and Sam Ellinger looked like the young guy just coming back from 
uh, being medically cleared to play football. You know, it, it, and that's the way that, you know, I looked at this game. And this is something I wanted to point out and was going to do in the first segment, and it kind of slipped my mind. But, you know, we've, we talked about Tom Herman being owned by Gary Patterson. Uh, yeah. Somebody else that Gary Patterson owns is Mike Yurcich. <laughs> in the last six times that he's faced a Mike Yurcich offense, Gary Patterson's team has won four of those six games and held them under 30, 35 points in, I believe, four of them, each yeah. one being a loss. He even held them down to nine points in one game. So Gary Patterson's teams are fundamentally sound, and, and they're very good defensive football teams, and, and they disguise a lot and they confuse a lot. And that's the one thing that Sam's got to get better at is, is understanding what the offense is trying to do, what the defense is, how they're going to try and stop you. And that's the one thing that I hear Mike Yersich talk about a lot. It's you got to know where your weaknesses are and how yeah. to overcome those. And, and defensively, Texas needs to learn the same thing too. You know, what are, what are, what's the weakness in this defensive front and how do we overcome it? Yeah, I think that's all, all about adapting as a coaching staff as well, depending on uh, which players are on or off, obviously. But I, I think we need to start raising question marks around your switch because we keep saying, I, I guess, each week, well, maybe he hasn't fully unleashed that playbook yet. Maybe he's waiting for OU. But uh, when it comes down to a game like TCU and you're obviously behind and, and you're looking at a loss dead in the eye, you have to find a way to win that game. And I don't think they've necessarily done that. Like we mentioned, they could be 0-2 in the conference right now. And honestly, a lot of people could argue that they should be. Tech should have beat them. TCU obviously beat them. So I I think it goes down to a coaching staff issue. The talent is obviously there. The recruiting classes are there. We've seen what they're able to accomplish. It's just the inconsistency issues. And so I'm starting to raise some question marks around the usage because it, it, it doesn't seem like he's portraying on the field is what he talks to you like when he does to the media. Should we be having those questions about Tom Herman? Oh, yeah. uh, this is this is Tom's fourth year. Uh, he wiped out the staff. We're still seeing the same issues. Uh, if you look at the top four teams in in, in the conference, and I'm, I'm not talking about Texas, I'm talking TCU, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Let's take a look at the teams that have won the conference over the last several years. Mm -hmm. Tom Herman is a combined four and ten against those teams in four years. Jeez, yeah. I mean, I think twelve we've and three had, against everybody yeah. else. I think we've always been uncertain about Herman. Uh, and we know Crystal Conte actually came out, the athletic director, and said that this was Herman's one chance to reshape his coaching staff. And it's, it's not working out so far. So I think you're right. I think it does fall on – and I think every loss or win does fall on Herman, um, obviously. But it's, it just doesn't look like it's working out so far. I think these are two defenses that Texas were uh, favorably matched up against, and they couldn't get the job done. So uh, that definitely falls on Herman's shoulders every single day of the week. Yeah, and I'm not – to the point where I'm not um, on board with some of the uh, Texas fans that were tweeting me pictures of Urban Meyer in a uh, Texas Longhorn. <laughs> that actually looked pretty cool. I mean, yeah. That appears I mean, to be the, the biggest topic after that loss. Of yeah, I, I mean, I've heard – I mean, I think Anwar Richardson was talking about it. I mean, you're uh -huh. talking about a buyout of Tom Herman of almost $20 million. Uh, now, if boosters want it to get done, they'll find the money. Yeah, they, they run that. They run yeah, that thing. No, 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 if they want it done, yeah. Yep. But I just don't – I don't want it to feel like an overreaction. Now, let mm -hmm. me just say this. If Tom Herman and Longhorns go into Red River Rivalry, Red River Shootout, Red River – whatever we're calling it, go into that next week and lose to Oklahoma, that that's going to start picking up some traction because Tom has only beaten Oklahoma once, and he's played them four times already. 
Yeah, this this game coming up at Texas and AU, it, it worries me because it, it's going to give a, a bad rap, and unfortunately, um, there's no positive outcome for it because if you're looking, you're looking at the two powerhouse Big 12 programs, Texas and Oklahoma. One's either going to have their third straight loss and third straight conference loss, or one's going to have their second straight loss and second straight conference loss. So I don't think there's a way for the Big 12 draft to improve at all next week. It's just a matter of I think Oklahoma's nearly going to be um, eliminated from Big 12 title contention if Texas wins this game. I think pre-conference losses a little deep to come back from to make that Big 12 title game. I think it's obviously a must win for Texas if they hope to have uh, obviously those Big 12 title hopes and very, very, very slim, slim, slim college football playoff hopes. But we've seen Oklahoma do it with one loss. Obviously the loss to Kansas State last year, but it's such an odd year. I think this is a must win for both programs. So I think the stakes are much higher than they originally were. Yeah, so either Texas is going to pick up their second conference loss or Oklahoma's going to have their third. Um, and, and we're going to get into more into that in the Big 12 uh, coming up in our next segment. All right, Cammie, so the uh, Red River shootout. The last time that both Texas and Oklahoma were coming off of a loss Coming into Red River rivalry, 2014. Jeez, six years ago. The time before that, it was 2007. What's interesting is this will be the first time uh, within the last 30 years that Oklahoma's coming into the Red River rivalry with two losses back-to-back. Not only that. This is the first time mm-hmm. since 1998 Oklahoma's lost two games in a row, period. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's hard, it's hard for us because, obviously, uh, we're, we're Texas people. Uh, we obviously despise OU. I think every Texas fan does. But you want, at the same time, the Big 12 to have a strong uh, a wrap. You want to have strong quality opponents because, at the end of the day, that's what helps you. That's what helps your rankings. That's what helps you get into those uh, college football playoff and things like that or a higher-level bowl game. So it, it just worries me how uh, it feels like no one in the Big 12 is playing quality football right now because I know Oklahoma State has an undefeated record. They're the only one in the conference, really, that has a overall undefeated record. But I feel like they haven't really played anyone yet. And so once they start getting to the Oklahomas and the Texases and the Iowa States and things like that, how are they going to look? So I think the Big 12 title race is completely wide open. But I think in terms of the overall uh, national rankings or the polls or the college football playoffs, I think that's very slim because the Big 12's ruining themselves. We're all beating each other. And so uh, at the end of the day, that's not going to help anyone. Right. And, and it's not just that. It's the fact that they lost games to the Sun Belt. They lost three, you know, Iowa State and Kansas State, who are now sitting at the top of the conference right now Mm -hmm. because they've beaten Texas. They've beaten Oklahoma. You know, and like you said, Oklahoma State is sitting up there at 3-0 in the conference, and they beat West Virginia. They beat Mm -hmm. Kansas. You know, and, and, and that's just the thing. It's like, you know, Baylor beat Kansas, but then they played West Virginia and lost, you know, mm-hmm. so, I mean, it's like you said, they're beating each other up. Uh, you know, it could be a thing where, I mean, it could be a thing where we could see Kansas state versus Iowa state in the big 12 title game this year. And, and this Ooh. is my thing right now. It's 
you know, it, it's kind of, you know, we've talked about it over the years. This was a, like a great shot for Texas. It was a great shot for Sam Ellinger. Oklahoma is down this year and they can't take advantage. Mm -hmm. They can't take advantage. I think that's uh, the most upsetting part about that loss at TCU is because you just felt it. You felt like this was Texas year. You felt like they had a talent. You felt like they had the coaching staff. Uh, we didn't think Oklahoma was as strong as usual. Um, obviously, COVID-related stuff I made mean, it just seem like this would almost be a walk in the park for Texas, and they struggled the first two conference games. So, I, I it looks like it's going to be a long year. <laughs> I, I, you know, I probably wouldn't say walk in the park. Yeah, but it felt but, like uh, the perfect storm. Uh huh. Very realistic chances. It was just—it was all right there. All they had to do, win and just run the table. That's what it doesn't matter how you win. Just win the <clears throat> same game. Jeez. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, I think that had to do more with the uh, college football playoff committee. Uh -huh. um, you know, because they're looking at the Big 12 is kind of down. You know, the Big 10, nobody's really discussing that. I think uh, Big 10, uh, Ohio State's are going to be in. Uh, style points matter for the Big 12, and Texas does not have those. <laughs> and, and if they're down, this opens up for the Pac-12 and, and – yep. We see how they do in the playoff. They don't. They don't do much either. You know, if it's not an SEC school, it's well. I guess the only well, ACC. I guess Clemson. You know, so it's kind of like the Big Twelve needed to have that one team in there. And and you know, looking at how everything's playing out, it doesn't really feel like we're going to see that this year. Yeah, I. I think that was my biggest takeaway. I was like, okay, well, the Big 12 title race, title race is obviously clearly wide open. And that was before Oklahoma had even lost to Iowa State. I felt that. So I still think Texas um, – you, you could even argue that they're a favorite to win the Big 12 title still. I mean, they barely lost to TCU, and that was basically them beating themselves over mental mistakes, penalties, things like that. Uh, play calling, coaching staff. You can, you can name a variety of reasons why they lost that game, but they shouldn't have point blank and so I think they're talented enough to win the Big 12 but my biggest takeaway was that I think college football playoff hopes are are pretty much out of realm now just uh, due to that loss and the Big 12 drought and everyone beating each other and um, I don't think there's enough quality teams to really strengthen that schedule here to um, I guess consider a team from the Big 12 in the college football playoff. Yeah because a, a, a game like Louisiana State uh -huh. would have meant a lot uh, if oh, Texas yeah. would have won that game. And so I think now they're betting on these conferences being themselves as well. So uh, if, if there's four undefeated, solid, uh, I, I mean, dominant teams who are winning with style points and things like that, you have to put them in the college football playoff. And I don't care what conference they're from. But Texas has that one loss. And obviously we're not predicting they'll have another one or not. But uh, that one loss is crucial. And I, I, I think – I think it has to play out absolutely perfectly in every way from other conferences in order for Texas to have a chance for the college football playoff. But I do, I do think it's very realistic still for them to win the Big 12 title. The uh, so now the thing that we wanted to kind of touch on before we get out of here, uh, Spencer Rattler. The last two weeks has had an opportunity to bring his football team back, um, and obviously costly interceptions. But I don't think he's the reason they're losing. Obviously. Uh, blowing mm -hmm. leads late in third, fourth quarters. Uh, you know, it's almost like Oklahoma is having the same issues. Texas is having mm -hmm. the exact same issues. Okay, maybe Sam's not turning the ball over as much uh, as as Rattler did against Kansas State. But like I said, you know, earlier in the show, 
Texas is one onside kick away from being in the exact same spot Oklahoma's exactly. in. Exactly. Uh, and and that's why even if you could even if you said, well, Texas could lose this game and then they have the same exact record as Oklahoma, Texas can't afford to lose this game. Oh, no, because, and Oklahoma can't either. I think that's why stakes are ten times higher than you originally expect. It's always a huge game, but right now it's a must-win for both, and I don't think fans, <laughs> the team, coaches have anything is used to that. This is must-win right. game for both teams. So, uh, well, it, it's not just a matter of keeping your ranking or whatever else. It's a must-win game as in uh, competing for any type of title this season. Right, right. In that essence, yes, because I was going to say, because Oklahoma doesn't need to prove anything this year. Right. Um, you know, they've won the conference five years in a row. They've mm-hmm. been to the playoff three to four years in a row, you know, so they don't have anything to prove. I think for Texas, and this is the last thing we're going to touch on before we get out of here, is for Texas, I think they have to win this game for two reasons. Because Tom Herman is on the verge of losing this fan base. Mm-hmm. He's on the verge of losing this football team. And, and you can tell me day in yeah. and day out, no, they're not going to lose them. I'm seeing players like B.J. Foster quit mid-game. We're seeing players like Kenyatta Watson going into the transfer portal. We've already seen it with Jawan Mitchell. So you can't tell me that there's not something going on there. If they're not winning football games and they're putting pressure on these players, I could see them. Yeah. I could see him losing the locker room. Do I think he's lost the locker room? No. I think they have a ton of respect for this guy. But the continuously losing to Oklahoma and – you know, losing these games that you should not lose, that's where it starts to pile up. And then look at the fact that they've lost four games every year under Tom Herman. Oh, yeah. And I, I thought it was pretty telling. And I'm glad you mentioned the fan base um, in terms of uh, Tom Herman because obviously at the game against TCU, he's being booed quite often. And there was a lot of, uh, of vulgar remarks towards Tom Herman. I'll put that uh, when the game concluded and Texas lost against TCU. But Uh, Yeah, I think Herman's more and more on the hot seat, like you mentioned, several players and talented, very talented players that could be starters at any Power 5 program are wanting to leave this program. And I think there's a developmental issue um, in terms of this coaching staff. And I think Kenyatta should and is talented enough uh, to be a starter, but he's not really receiving enough playing time. So I don't really fault him for entering the transfer portal. I mean, his spark store is off the charts, literally. So um, I'm not sure what's going on behind the scenes. Obviously, you or I can't comment on that, but something's not right there with that coaching staff. Well, like I said, if Keanu wanted to play, if Keanu Watson wanted some playing time, maybe he should pull a B.J. Foster and quit in the third quarter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I say that jokingly, I mean, obviously. But. Yeah, but and then what did he do? B.J. Foster turned around and led the team in tackles against Texas Tech. So, I mean, if, yeah. Got something. Something's not right there. It really bugs me that uh, we can't pinpoint it, but I, I don't know what it is. But at the end of the day, it has to fall on the head coach. It does have to fall on the head coach. All right, well, that's going to do it for this edition of the Locked On Longhorns podcast. Make sure you're going to the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We're going to be here Monday through Friday. Obviously, John Williams, Locked On Sooners, is going to be joining us. Uh, we're going to get you ready for Texas OU weekend. Uh, but as always, for Cammie, I'm Patrick. And as always, Keep it locked on. Welcome.